0: Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an Agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a Blueprint for Creating an Experience-Led Organization, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. We've talked about many different ways that you can apply an agile philosophy in your work. Today, we're going to talk about mental agility and what we can do to seize opportunity as the world continues to shift. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Kirk Westwood, Founder and CEO of Glass River Media, and author of the book "The Very Best Bad Idea: Innovation, Creativity, and Making Friends with the Mouse." First, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do at Glass River Media?
1: Uh, yeah, thanks, um So, Glass River Media—we we like to say we're a content strategy company. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are marketing companies, or advertising companies, or PR companies, and all of those touch on final strategy and content strategy uh and, and we touch on all of them as well. But the flashroom video we more or less focus on, you know, everyone's making content, whether it's a podcast or a or a Facebook or a LinkedIn. But lots of people are have kind of a throw a spaghetti at the world kind of mentality about it. And and we help people better uh, align their content with the appropriate channel points to the appropriate audience. Uh so it's it's it was seen you know, in marketing people do it, and lots of different agencies touch on it. But we're the only people we know that really hone down on making the right content for the right channel to to meet the right audience at the right part of their journey. And then we we specialize in in content strategy and and content channels.
0: Well, before we explore some of the ideas you wrote about in your recent book, let's first talk about the book writing process and, and inspiration. So first question would be, what inspired you to write your book, the very best bad idea? Uh, what's the main idea that you wanted to get across?
1: Um, you know, obviously that's a hundred different ways to answer the question because there's it was no one thing, but the moment that I kind of decided to do it, uh, I was working here in DC back in 2012 or 13 actually. and, And I was working with people that were far, far smarter than me, far, far more educated than me. Just, brilliant academics. Like some of them had gone to you know Ivy League schools and had these amazing careers and but uh, we were working in an office together in government contracting and such and, and they would have this idea that I would think this is inspired. It was nothing like I'd had occurred before like, oh my gosh, that fixes the problem. That like, if we do that, it'll fix everything. Let's let's I'll go with you. Mm-hmm. Let's take that to, you know, Joan or to, you know Jim or let's take that to the person in charge and 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 let's let's fix this problem. And the number of times I would hear someone say, "Ah, no," like they don't want to listen to my ideas. They are set in their ways. They don't care. Their j- only job is to say no. If they'll think it's a bad idea, and, and it boiled down to the same conversation I ended up having with multiple people, all of them brilliant, where I say, "Sloydan, your entire goal for your career is to keep your head down and not make an impact until like change changes." And they're like, well, I wouldn't have said it like that, but I guess yes. Because yeah. because people are so afraid of being wrong or being ridiculed or being humiliated or or having something that they think is a good idea mocked or laughed at, they they would rather just keep their head down and literally hide their brilliance from other people, hide their perspective. And so when I left that contract in 2015 to start Flash Over Media that was also what started Blastroom Media, was that same concept, that people were being ignored and people were being minimalized and marginalized but didn't want to be, but they didn't know what their channel strategy should be. They didn't know how to release the content in a way that would get the big notice. And that was yeah. when I started Blastroom Media with that same ethos. And then in the back of my mind, I was just taking notes of, of how to express it to people. And then in about 2019, 2018, someone was like, you just need to put it all down you need to explain this to people in a better way than just these little stuff speeches that you give. So I did, I, I, I put
0: it all down. Well, you know, as a fellow book author uh, you know, I have my own reasons for writing books and uh, in addition to doing some other things, but you know, as a, as an owner of a, a content strategy and creation company and and certainly creating other types of content, what was it about writing a book that was particularly interesting or, or maybe even just particularly applicable to, this subject matter? Sure.
1: Um, as again, I love content strategy. I love channels There is no such thing as a bad channel. Uh, there's no such thing as bad content. As long as it was utilized, you know, TikTok is taking off right now. People are finding great business success on this platform that really did start off with pause players lip syncing, which is ridiculous to say out loud, but it's true. Um, <laughs> but I love audience change. You know, one of the things I love to tell people is that a majority of park commercial aren't actually trying to sell a car. They're trying to make people aware of a the car. You know, every, they're trying to change the way you feel about it. And every channel has its purpose. And I know I love, you know, I have one of my, my mentors say, why don't you write a book to start a podcast? Like, hey, I love podcasts, and I am currently in the process of starting one. People listen to podcasts at a very specific part of their journey. Usually they're commute But it's, people listen to people listen to podcasts, to fill a very specific thing. People go on the internet to at a very kind of varied but specific part of their journey. Reading books, when something's a book, whether you listen to it on tape or audible or, or, or you sit down and you read it, when you make the decision to open up a book, typically for most people, that goes in line with being open for and seeking new information. When you're just online, looking at means... People make the joke you'll never learn anything or never agree a thing on the internet, and that's because when people are on the internet and searching memes, they're not they're not looking to be edified, they're looking to be entertained. But yeah. books and even with podcasts, there's a little bit more edification and education, uh, edification and education values podcasts. But I mean, like you, you have a podcast and a book, and lots of it's the same content or the same subject matter, but you approach it in a very different way. So. The idea that a book allowed me to cite my sources in a very, very structured way. It allowed me to tell my whole point in a very long form structured way. And it is, it is a, a medium that people tend to open up when they are most specifically looking to learn something. And so it was something very valuable to me. That hitting my most, uh, my most targeted audience with this information at a place on their journey where they would be the most open to it, the most accepting of outside perspectives. Because the entire book is about outside perspectives and mm-hmm. you're never going to that, yeah. going to that with a meme. It's just not
0: going to happen. No, that's great. I, I love, I love that explanation. That's, that's, that's really interesting. Well, let's, let's then segue into talking more about ideas from your book. Um, so, um, you know, why, why do you think that so many people are afraid to be wrong? You, you referred to this earlier. And, and what can someone do to unlearn that behavior?
1: So I assu- assume your writing process was, was similar. you editors and publish- publishers and, and people that, you know, pre-readers and copywriters and stuff. And when I first turned in my first draft of the manuscript, mm-hmm. it was 20,000 words shorter than the final draft. And, and that was actually their question. Their big question was, so... You've told me all of this stuff about people being afraid you wrong. You've told me all this stuff about why it's bad. But you haven't told me why it's true. You haven't sold me on it being a fact. You need to explain to me why you think it's true. Which, which led to another six months of me interviewing and, and researching. And and the shortest, the shortest, most concise answer is evolution. Of uh, We are not a particularly fierce creature we don't have claws, we don't have teeth, we don't have thick skin or armor, we we don't have you know when you look at pretty much every uh, uh, you know alpha alpha predator in the animal kingdom, we are we are just like I don't know a good example, we are just fruit snacks to these animals. But we raid, we uh, we hit the top of the food chain very quickly you know, not millions of years, not even hundreds of thousands, but the homo sapiens reached the top of the food chain very quickly in comparison to other animals. And it was because what we do that others don't do, other species don't do particularly well, is we have societies, and we have the ability to attack the ability to work together. But the inverse of that is if you made a bad joke at the campfire and she kicked you out of the circle, you were going to die. Like, Humans don't survive yeah. on their own very well at all. I mean, obviously we have fermenting in in modern era. There's there's recluses and shutouts. I mean, there's exceptions to everything, but for the most part, if the tribe kicked you out at any era before modern society, you were basically dead. Um, yeah. So the short answer to to that long, the short part of that long answer was: we're afraid of being wrong. because evolutionarily being Outcast from the group really did learn death. And that is something that we have taught ourselves that being outcast is not worse than death. It's the same as death. Hmm. Um yeah. and, and we can see that most clearly with things like you know, Jerry Seinfeld was really a joke about this, where ninety-five uh, percent of people are afraid of public speaking, and ninety percent of people are afraid of death. Which means 5% of people that go to a funeral would rather be in the casket than giving <laughs> them Right, right. And, yeah. And it all, it, all, it all goes back to that same point of so when you stand up in a group, stand up in front of, stand up in front of, uh, stand up in front of a group of your peers, or stand up in front of a, a group of uh, bosses, or even subordinates, and you put your ideas, your plan out there, you are Actively inviting ridicule and scrutiny, and that is evolutionarily terrifying. Because if you get cast out, I mean, even modern day, if you're a CEO or or and you come into the, the board and you have some crazy ideas and start to lose money, you're going to get kicked out. You might lose your house in the Hamptons. Like stepping yeah. outside of the norm is a big ask for a lot of people
0: another another concept you you talk about in the book is uh, you know the the phrases like building a better mousetrap and not reinventing the wheel and talk about how those ideas actually can be harmful to innovation um, could you expand on that a little bit
1: absolutely it's one of my favorite parts of the book actually is, is those uh, those two, two phrases specifically um, I'm a big believer in, in two things that are not uh, they're just they're not, closely held beliefs of The First is incremental innovation. Anytime you require someone as a boss or you require someone to come with someone with a fully realized plan, you come to me with a fully realized plan and, and we will move forward with that. You're, you're just inviting all sorts of problems there. You're invi- because no, as we say in the military, no plan survives contact with me. Like there's no the minute you start implementing a plan, if you haven't built into the plan, the fact that the plan won't last long, then there was not much to it. So the first is, I believe, is incremental innovation, um, which plays into this here in a second. But the other thing that I believe yeah. is, that, is that words are programmed. Not metaphorically, not an analogy, literally. Right now on this podcast, when I say, hey, everyone, think of a pink elephant, most people Without Mike, my, without my, their consent, got a visual image of a pangolin, whether they wanted to or not. Because your brain runs programs. Now we can talk about the difference of changing someone's knowledge or attitudes or behaviors or you know being effective. But at the end of the day, when you tell someone, uh, you know, especially really, really, children, but when you tell someone, hey, you know, go do X, lots of people. Stop by the first thing in the way. They get stopped, but they're like, "Oh, like I can't accomplish X," even though there are workarounds, there are overviews, they're, there's ways to get around the problem. People don't tend to automatically go for it. So when you say things like "build a better mousetrap," okay, that has become like you watch Shark Tank, which is one of my favorite shows. They say it all the time. "Build a better uh, build a better mousetrap" has become like this rattling cry of the entrepreneur in the head of it. but. It's actually, it's actually exclusive and exclusionary of actual actualization. In the words itself, you no. Know, okay, take various and diverse parts and put it together. Better. Okay, so we have a baseline that's not been defined in any way. We just say better, better than the last one I exposed to the information. trap. So we need to trap mice objectively. But what it doesn't do is tell me what the goal. Is the goal really to catch mice, or is the goal to prevent mice from eating your food? Because if the goal is actually to prevent mice from getting into your food, why don't we build a mouse fence? Why don't we build a mouse deterrent? Why don't we build a, a uh, if we could communicate with the mice, could we ask them to not come in? If we fed the mice or paid them protection fees, would they stop coming around? And this is meant to sound ridiculous. Like, I say it somewhat Mm -hmm. jokingly, but why can't we make friends with the mouse? Why can't we? Because when you think about a car that doesn't get pulled by horses or being able to talk to people going thousands of miles away over electricity, those are ridiculous assertions before they became clear. But when you yeah. say things like build a better mousetrap," you are actually defining the process for the person. You're saying, hey, what I need you to do is construct a thing that does this exact thing better than the last one. What it doesn't say is, can we get to the root of this problem and find a different way to solve it? which is actually what Emerson meant when he said, like, like, let's find a real solution. Stop reinventing the wheel is actually even more insidious Because the number of times I've come in or seen on a team that I was on, someone come in and like, hey, I have this new system. I think it will actually save us time, save us money. It'll be X, Y, and Z. It'll be really helpful. And someone will be like, oh, gosh, don't reinvent the wheel. The system works. First off, it probably did (laughs) <laughs> by by right. sheer nature, it was a system intended to make everything su- stand out, and those very rarely are, are as effective as they are. And why are we not willing to open up to, to new possibilities? If someone comes and says, This system doesn't make sense to me, I have this other system that I find more effective, why is our response to stop re- reinventing the Because, on two, there's two sides of the coin. One, the wheel has been reinvented like every six months for thirty-five hundred years. Why on earth do we stop looking for new ways to solve the problem? And on the other hand, what you're actually saying is, I don't care about your contribution. I would prefer you do this my way. I don't want you to be an independent individual of yourself. I'd rather you be an extension of my will,
0: which is yes. just—it's
1: offensive almost every level. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Well, yeah, la- the, the last thing I wanted to touch on in, in your book was, you and I talked before this recording, and you mentioned the term mental agility. And obviously, given that this is the Agile World podcast, my, my ears perked up. Um, and it, you, you mentioned the, the importance of maintaining this mental agility. So can you define what that means to you and tell our listeners, what, what can they do to maintain mental agility?
1: questions and lots of ways to answer that, But at its mm-hmm. most basic, at its most basic mental agility is the ability to look at something that you know what is. Look at something that you are familiar with and be willing to admit you don't have any idea what it is. Like I'm looking at a car and I'm at I'm looking at something I understand. You have to be willing to admit that you don't understand things that you think you did. Um, that, that mental agility is knowing that let's, let's look, there's, mental agility is knowing that there's just as much you don't know about a project or a problem or a product or a people that you do. So instead of focusing on all the, that you know, like, all I know is this and we have to do this to do this to do this. People get so wrapped up in what they do know that they completely ignore that they don't know more than they do. So being mentally agile is being willing to pivot and being willing to throw out systems that you thought were working. Mental agility is is the willingness to say, you know what, someone else that I outrank might know better than me about this, and I have to be willing to throw out what I thought I knew in order to know what they do. Because sometimes two facts are contradictory. Like, well again, because they're both that. Sometimes information isn't that neat and the The biggest failure that large organizations have is, is an inability to pivot away from institutional knowledge. Like hey, we have we founded this company 70 years ago, we make widgets, we make the best widgets since my great great granddaddy invented the widget. It's been this, and some new person comes in and goes, Well, I was thinking, what if we did this other thing? And they lock it down they shut it out. Like, Look, we've been doing this for 70 years. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just keep your head down, do your job. We don't need your information. People get so comfortable with what they know, they become viscerally against things that they don't. And frankly, we should be excited and, and amped and activated by finding information we didn't know. That shouldn't be that should not in any way be threatened. When someone comes in and says, "Hey, these numbers don't work," Either the quarter was down, or whatever the information you don't know, or even better, the information you do know but don't understand, that shouldn't be a threat. That is an opportunity. That is an activating. Like I found a new growth through these trees. I have a new opportunity for growth, implementation, real, get uh, what what have, you. but to do that. Yeah. Right? To, to have that mental agility, the trick is to make being out of your comfort zone, your comfort zone. Yeah. Like
0: yeah. the
1: minute you've had five days in a row that this lather rinsed feet, that's tough. That. You should never have five days in a row for a ladder rinse your feet. Like, Yeah, I just, you know, I, I come in, I, I crunch the numbers, I, I punch the clock and I leave. Incremental innovation. Every day there's an opportunity to sharpen the stick. There's an opportunity to find new leverage, find new systems. I'm not saying we should throw everything out constantly, but our inability and unwillingness to re weigh and re measure our assumptions is it's often detrimental to progress and innovation. So the mental agility that I'm talking about is, is really a willingness and excitement to and excitement to find out if you were wrong. The last chapter of the book, the very best bad idea. That very last chapter says everything in this book is wrong. And every write me a letter and tell me where you disagree. Write me a letter, tell me where I'm mistaken. Point out to me my mistakes. And I—it's not hate man. That's that's fan man. Like yeah, yeah. I am excited for you to give to my perspective information I didn't have yesterday. Because the only way to fail is to not be willing to learn.
0: Yeah Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I mean I, I will confess I, it took me way too long to, to really learn that. I mean that, that people giving you feedback is actually the people that give you feedback are the people that are actually paying attention and care <laughs> to enough to give yeah. to give feedback in the first place and to not you know to not take that defensively, but to be like, oh wow, I mean everybody else that said, oh hey, just that's that's great, Good job or whatever. Probably most of those people didn't even read whatever document that was or a strategy, this or that. But the people that actually had feedback and said, well, I think this could be different or whatever, those are the people that actually read it and cared enough to, to try to think of a better approach.
1: Absolutely. And, and yeah. the biggest thing is, is if someone comes to you, and this is literally the first page of you, if someone comes to you and says, that is a terrible idea, that's not how this works. You, you've got to do it this specific way. People tend to either recoil quickly, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll do, I'll do it right, or they take those as attacks, or they take those as challenges, or they... All those are. All of them. You're an idiot. That's a bad idea. These That won't work. You're thinking about this all wrong. Those are both invitations to learn more about the other person's perspective or learn better... How you are failing to describe your idea. Because what that all of those mean, what all of them, mean, is that other people don't see what you see. Either because they maintain it isn't there, or because you are not adequately painting the picture. So figure out quickly which one it is. Is it is it you have this hot, awesome idea that is that other people don't see? What an amazing opportunity that is. Or is it that your idea is good and you're just failing to adequately describe it and articulate it? Yeah. Which is also valid. Like, hey, your idea isn't, doesn't make any sense. Okay. And then obviously the third is that your idea actually doesn't make any sense. But it makes sense in your head. You need to find out what you're missing because they clearly aren't articulating the problems either. So all of these things, you know, bad idea. Gotta do it this way, don't reinvent the wheel. All of those are invitations to learn more and explain better. Because that is where the that is where incremental innovation lies. Small steps towards new things, fixing the small problems first and the bigger problems later, and not worrying about the bigger problems. While you're
0: working on the smaller phones. Well, uh, one last question before we wrap up. Um, you've had a diverse background, uh, having every, worked in everything from Hollywood, lecturing at Georgetown, founding a media company, and being in the Army Reserve. How has your experience uh, shaped your views and ideas? And what advice would you have for someone today that might be afraid to do something a little outside of their own uh, norm or, or their own expectations for themselves? I, it's an
1: awesome question.
0: Um, I do have a good personal
1: I was raised on military base, not a, a career, uh, am an uh, officer. And then, yeah, I, at 16, told my dad the the colonel," that I was going to art school, which went over exactly where I was going. <laughs> um, and then I did go to LA, Hollywood, joined the reserves, because I just told didn't know where that was. I and mean, I've been everywhere, and if anything I've learned is that we are far more often divided by a common language than we are Words like innovation or I'll just use innovation. Words like innovation mean different things to a lecturer at Georgetown, to a person in research, than it does to a person in in convention. Silicon Valley uses the word innovation very, very differently than academia does. But neither of them are fully willing to recognize and accept that. Both of them see innovation, they they think they understand it. This goes back to my list and agility willing really to admit that you don't or that you don't see things the same way. Um, yeah. I, have seen, I have been at a table in the, in the Army Reserve innovation and I have been at a table with Silicon Valley startups and military machine learning experts and they're using the same words and in about 10 minutes I realized that neither of them was saying the same thing and they thought they were. Like, you, so the, yeah. the, the biggest thing I've learned is never be afraid to ask more questions because even if you just have it confirmed that you are in fact saying the same thing, that's valuable. And and when someone stands up, especially especially if it is a a superior, I mean, your boss, your manager, your stock standard, uh, your your board, your shareholders, if someone comes to you and has an idea, and the idea seems ludicrous to you, that's 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 good. And we shouldn't fight against feeling that. We should, we should understand. Why do we, If all these people, my boss and the board are doing this thing that to me feels that everyone I've ever talked to on every level of government or otherwise has that boss that like, oh my gosh, everyone running this place is an idiot. They don't know what they're doing. If I was running this place, X, Y, Z.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: and what that really means is that they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about because there's clearly something they don't know. And most people are really excited to not have that information. They'd rather be on their high horse of superior knowledge where they are only in their head. The the real idea is, you know, I've been in all these places, like you said. I've worked in in broadcast journalism and in in entertainment media. And I'll say that the things that divide entertainment media from broadcast news are way less than you think. They're both entertainment media. Um, (laughs) The things that divide us are are also bigger and less. The things that unite us aren't what we expect. The things that divide us aren't what we expect. True, we we need to make sure we're saying the same thing because lots of cultures that are still all American see things differently than us, and we need to, to recognize that and be excited for that information. But likewise, um, yeah. we need to realize that. Everyone's perspective is valid. It might not be more valid than yours or more correct than yours, but everyone's perspective is valid. You know, Jack Ma, you know, head of Alan Group, said sometimes you need a fool to lead the group because a group of scientists isn't going to get the job done. You need everyone's perspective. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. the, the, the summation answer to that is always be willing to understand more about where someone is coming from. Because even if it doesn't change your decision, it might change your understanding of the decision. And when people you respect, or even people you don't respect, are making decisions that seem just ludicrous or moronic or just, just insane, instead of working to express to them why they're wrong, prove them right. Find out why it is. What in their perspective experience, what data do they have that you don't have? Even if you don't agree, even if it doesn't change your opinion, it'll change your perspective. And that's what really, really equals that incremental meditation. It's what equals that mental agility and real change. Because actively wanting to find everyone else's
0: perspective. Well, Kirk, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, what's the best way for them to uh, keep up with what you're doing?
1: Um, I'm, I'm a very active participant on LinkedIn, LinkedIn. You know, Westwood. My book, where I'm starting to blog and I'm going to be posting my podcast soon, is the very be- uh, best bad idea.com. Or just my email is Kirk at glassrivermedia.com. My business is Glass River Media. Uh, but LinkedIn Glass River Media or very best bad idea. I'm, I'm pretty active with uh,
0: Again, I'd like to thank Kirk Westwood, founder and CEO of Glass River Media and author of the book The Very Best Bad Idea, for joining the show. To learn more about customer and employee experience, I recommend you go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book, The Center of Experience. More information is available on my website or wherever the book is available, like Amazon. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, from my website at theagile.world.com or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile.